Bob Berg is the author of multiple books, including The Go-Giver, a Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestseller, which to date has sold over 925,000 copies. The Go-Giver has been translated into 28 languages. It was rated number 10 on Inc. Magazine's list of the most motivational books ever written, and it was on HubSpot's top 20 sales books of all time. Bob is the author of multiple books on sales, marketing, and influence, with total book sales approaching 2 million copies. American Book Association named Bob as one of the 30 most influential leaders, and he was named one of the top 200 most influential leaders in the world by Richtopia. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. I'm excited to share our conversation this morning with our listeners. Hey, good morning. I am so glad to have you on the show, Bob. Thank you, Curtis. Great to be with you. Chatting just a minute here before the show, I was letting you know I just finished reading your book, The Go-Giver. It's been absolutely awesome, and I've already suggested that to members of our Success Motivation Inspiration Group. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. What gave you the idea to write a book like that, the parable-style book with such great teaching? Well, years ago, I had a uh, I had a book out called Endless Referrals. That was my first kind of major book, and it was a how-to book, so, you know, traditional how-to book, which was all about showing entrepreneurs and salespeople how to... Uh, really prospect successfully in the marketplace, meeting new people, uh, being able to converse with them and build relationships with them where people eventually began to know, like, and trust them and want to do business with them and refer them to others. Uh, now, over time, uh, I'd read a whole lot of business parables and I'd always enjoyed them very much. And, uh, you know, a story, a parable, it connects on a kind of a heart level, right, on a deeper level. And they're typically easy reads and and you can take the lessons and apply them. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take the the basic premise of endless referrals, which is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like and trust and put it into a a, a a parable that would be very easy to read and take in and, and so forth. And so uh, the first question was basically entitling the book, um, you know, what is the, the um, major characteristic, if you will, of a person who was able to, to uh, attain the know, like, and trust relationships with others. Okay. But both quickly and sustainably. And the answer is that they're constantly giving. Their focus is on giving value to others. So we called it the go-giver. And I, I um, emailed a, a friend of mine, John David Mann, who was, uh, at the time, I'd never actually met him personally, but I considered him a friend. And he was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I was writing for. And just such a great writer, fantastic storyteller, terrific guy. And I asked John if he would be the lead writer and storyteller, because I'm a how-to person. And, you know, I can tell a story from stage when it's actually happened and I'm just relating the story. But that's a lot different from writing a work that's, you know, even though it's based on truths, it's still a work of fiction. And I knew John could just just really do such a better job than I could with that. So we um, we collaborated on that. And that's really how, you know, how the go-giver came about. That's great. Um, and you've had tremendous success with that book. I was I was seeing uh, looking at some stats said the Wall Street Journal and Business Week had it ranked as a bestseller, and you've sold over 850,000 copies already, correct? 
Yeah, it's the the go giver itself is now actually up to about nine hundred and twenty five thousand. Wow. And uh, yeah, in the you know the series altogether because we have a series of four go giver books, uh, three of them being parables, and they're they're up you know to close to two million. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a fun ride. That's amazing. What is your personal definition of success? Well, you know, success can be can be defined and measured in different ways. I think success, in a sense, is very contextual in nature. And what I mean by that is that it can be very basic. It can be very surface. You know, a success can be a victory. Uh, you you try to lose uh, twenty pounds in three months and you accomplish that. Well, you were successful in attaining that goal. If you if you dropped 18 pounds, well, you were 90% successful, right? Uh, if your team beats another team, they were successful in terms of the victory. Now, maybe the team that lost played better than they usually do and improved. And in that sense, while they weren't successful in terms of the score, they were successful in terms of improvement. Okay, so, uh, you know, there are many definitions of success, many ways that you can define it. My overall, and I don't think anything, any of them are wrong. I think they're all correct and they all work uh, the way they, you know, they, they, they work as they're intended to. My overall definition of success is a, an ongoing and genuine feeling of happiness and peace of mind. The result of having done one's best in living up to their potential. Okay, so to the degree that we have lived up to our potential in any certain area, whether we're talking financially, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, what have you, that's the degree that we've been successful. Love your uh, your view on success. I, you know, I always I always enjoyed uh, Earl Nightingale's definition of success from his Lead the Field uh, album for, from years and years ago. And what he said is success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And what I loved about that was that it, a short sentence, but so very deep and meaningful. So his definition of success was the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So the progressive realization. In other words, you don't have to be there yet at the finish line to be successful. If you're progressing toward that goal, okay, that's success. But he also said a worthy ideal. So in other words, to be the leading drug dealer uh, in your neighborhood, that's <laughs> not success. That is not a worthy ideal, okay? So, but, uh, but if you're pursuing something worthy and you're progressively realizing it, in other words, you're getting closer and closer to it, that's success. So, you know, again, and then there's people who say success is happiness. Okay. Now, you know, then you've got to define happiness, but that's, but nonetheless, uh, and that can mean different things to different people. So again, I think success is contextual and I think it's individual in nature. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been very successful. Can I ask what steps you take daily to improve? Well, I read voraciously. Okay, so I'm a, a big reader. Uh, you know, I also watch videos. I, you know, live, listen to people. Um, constantly checking my premises, understanding that I don't know, you know, nearly what I think I know, and because of that, I'm hopefully able to keep my mind open. But I, I think it's it's listening, it's engaging with people, it's it's not being attached to being right. 
or being attached to knowing the answers. Of course, we try to. We want to be right. We want to to know. But it's again questioning premises, always asking ourselves, why, you know, why do I think that? Why do I believe that? What could I do differently? Why does this work? What's the cause and effect of this? And so I'm, I'm constantly studying, learning, and, uh, and hopefully growing. Okay. What advice would you give for someone making an important decision? So I think it goes back to learning how to make decisions. Okay. And not waiting to the last minute till something's important comes up to decide to uh, that now I need to know how to make a decision. Uh, there was a wonderful book written by a woman named Annie Duke. Now, Annie was a professional poker player. She was a world champion poker player. You, you may have seen her on TV at the Las Vegas tournament. Now, I'm not a poker player, uh, but uh, I read her book. It's called Thinking in Bets. And what it was really about was how to make the best decisions when you don't have all the facts, because we generally don't have all the facts. We may have a preponderance of facts and a preponderance of evidence, and sometimes we don't. But what she talks about is learning how to think in such a way that we give ourselves the best odds of making the best decision. Now, by the way, as she talks about, and this is so true, Sometimes even the best decision doesn't always have the best results, okay? But to the degree we make the best decisions, that's the degree we increase the odds and create the context of the right results. So I think it's really understanding, it's determining how you're going to make decisions before those important decisions come up. Okay, that's great advice. Can you tell me about a specific moment that set you on the path you're on now? I love that coffee cup, by the way, the go-giver coffee cup. Oh, thank you. <laughs> give me one of those. <laughs> um, so what set me on the path? Uh, you know, I don't think there was any one thing. Um, I grew up with great parents, fortunately, who just um, wonderful people who always tried to make the world better for others. My dad, probably the best when it came to people skills. And his people skills were really based on truly caring about the other person and making people feel genuinely good about themselves. So that was something that I always held as a high value. Also, in, in terms of sales, it was, you know, understanding and learning that the sale is never about the salesperson. The sale is never even about the product or the service, as important as the product or service is. The sale is always about the other person and how their lives are going to be touched, how their lives are going to be improved through using your product or service. So I think, and this is sort of what the, you know, the basic premise of the go-giver is that shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, just to clarify, when we say giving, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. Understanding that not only is that a, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. Not for any woo-woo way out there reasons, but it really taps into human nature. Because when you think about it, when you're that person who is able to to move off of focusing on yourself on to focusing on bringing value to others, focusing on making life better for others, focusing on 
on helping them attain what they want to attain, the fact is people feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be a part of your life. They want to be your personal walking ambassador. So I think when we genuinely, and that's and this is where, you know, in law number four, the law of authenticity comes into play. When we genuinely care about making another person's life better, that's when, you know, great things happen because we are creating that benevolent context for our success as well as theirs, which is it's just great that it works out, you know, that way. But it's very also important to qualify because, you know, like, in, in, for instance, in law number three, the law of influence, we say your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. That doesn't mean you're, you're anybody's doormat. That doesn't mean you're you're a martyr. It doesn't mean you're self-sacrificial. No way. It simply means you understand that the golden rule of business, as Joe, the protege, learned from several of the protege uh, of the mentors in the story, the golden rule of business is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way of eliciting those feelings toward you from others than by, again, genuinely and authentically moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, looking for ways to make your win all about the other person's win. Okay. I love that. If you could recommend one book for audience, what would that be? Well, the Annie Duke book, uh, Thinking in Bets was great. Um, you know, I would always say how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie is another one. That's just a, you know, an out, outstanding, outstanding book. Uh, you know, there are, gosh, there were just so many books that I would love to recommend. It almost depends, you know, what it is that, that people want to, uh, want to learn. Gosh, there's, there's so many, I, you know, I would say how to win friends and influence people is, is one of those books that, uh, you know, you could read forever. And, you know, to me. The basic premise of Mr. Carnegie's book, and again, this was written back in 19, I think, 37 is when it was published. Uh, what I felt was the base of his underlying premise is where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Again, that's human nature. It's understanding this. And, you know, successful people deal in truths, right? They, they, they make a study of the laws of life, the laws of success. They make a study of the laws of, of human nature, of physical nature, of economic nature, and they make their decisions based on those truths. You know, so I, I think when you, that anytime you have a book that is tapping into truths in some way, you know, that's a, always a positive book to, to read. Absolutely. I'll put a link to those books in, in the show notes of your podcast here. How to Win Friends and Influence People is one of the first books that I ever read. Mm. And for years, I would read that two or three times a year. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I read it until the pages literally fell out of it. And mm. I've it, got uh, one of those copies of it myself. Too, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a absolutely incredible book. And yours well, is he's a great talking book, about he's, Oh, thank you. you know, well, you know, Dale Carnegie's talking about people skills. And people skills are the difference maker. That doesn't mean that technical skills aren't important. Of course, they're important. It doesn't mean that that talent isn't important. It's absolutely important. But all those are kind of the entry fee to get into the game. Okay, but it's it's people skills, that ability to to move people 
to a desired action and in a way that benefits everyone concerned, that's the person who, who attains enormous levels of success and achievement. I can definitely see why Licky Lovegy re- referred me to you, introduced you. us. We, we love uh, Licky and uh, his wife, Samantha. She's just wonderful. They're a great, great couple and just wonderful people. That's awesome. What character traits do you value the most in others? I think kindness would be the, you know, the, the first one. I mean, it, it it's sort of if a person's not genuinely kind, you know, which is sometimes different than nice. A person can act nice as a way to manipulate another human being, but that's not kind. Uh, I'd say kindness is 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 first. Uh, obviously, you know, honesty and integrity and and uh, those those traits. I mean, uh, I, I think these are traits that that across the board, across cultures, uh, across you know cr- countries and individuals. I think these are are things we uh, you know we respect and admire about people. This is a tougher question. How do you push through tough times? You know, it's a tough question, but it's really, it's not so much the question is tough as much as the action is, because the answer is in a sense fairly easy. And that is you just push through, you push through. I mean, do you have a choice? Uh, Well, I mean, you do have a choice, but then that's always, what's your, what's the result you're looking for? You can always just stop and you can quit. You can, but you're not going to get the results you want. So if you have a a great enough desire for something, and that of course, you know, was, was the, the, the basic first law that uh, Napoleon Hill talked about, right? In, in think and grow rich. It's having that desire that's so all encompassing that you're not going to allow yourself to quit. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have tough times. The road to success is paved with tough times. It's paved with a lot of no's. Uh, great friends of mine, uh, Andrea Waltz and, and Richard Fenton, wrote a, a book, a, a business parable called Go For No. And the the premise is that yes is the destination, no is how you get there. And they reframe no's not as something that you enjoy because it's they're not enjoyable, but as something that you embrace in terms of understanding that every one of those no's gets you closer to a yes, so long as you are making the correct adjustments when necessary. And sometimes it's not necessary. Sometimes it's just a matter of people are going to say no, but you know, just because uh, that's what it is. So you push through by just saying to yourself, if I really want this particular result and understanding in advance that it's going to be paved with no's, that it's going to be paved with failures, that it's going to be paved with times that are just difficult, then you put yourself in the position that it's not a surprise. And because it's not a surprise, you don't all of a sudden get panicky. And wonder why things aren't working out. You know, they're not working out because life sometimes it's not working out. And so that allows you to, to push through. Okay. That's some great advice. Uh, now, this is my favorite question to ask very successful people. What inspires you? I think what inspires me is that I love what I do. <laughs> I believe in my message and I have a personal need to kind of get that message out in the marketplace and feel I'm making a contribution. And I believe that as human beings, we're programmed to feel that way. I, I believe that's part of human nature, that we want to feel, you know, we, uh, well, you know, in, in uh, a great, great book by um, Dan Pink, uh, Drive, uh, what, uh, what Motivates Us. And he talked about uh, certain certain drives that we have such and and the most important one was that sense of autonomy 
choice, you know, that we control. But there's also competence. It's being good at something, but it's also being part of something. And it's it's making a difference. Um, and and so I, I think that's what inspires me, that I feel I can make a difference, that I have something hopefully to offer the world. Uh, and again, it, that's not um, self-sacrificial in any way. Not at all. I enjoy it. OK, I love the idea. It makes me feel good about myself to believe and act <coughs> as, bless you, as someone who has something to offer and is putting it out there. I'd just like to mention you are the embodiment of the message that you've shared in your book, that you love people and you love helping people. And your goal is maybe not getting rich with the book, but just that's, helping people. But that's also, but here's the thing. I, and but I that appreciate that also. very much. Here's what, here's what we, I don't believe there's a dichotomy between doing well and making a lot of money. I like doing both. But what it is, is that the focus needs to be on the value you are providing. Okay, and this is why we say John David Mann, my awesome co-author, in one of the books we say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to value's lightning, which means the focus has got to be on the value you're providing, the world that you're providing, others that you're providing in business, the marketplace. Um, and so the, the, the focus is on the value. The money you receive is simply a very natural result of the value you provided. I love that. It's awesome. You know, as any of us gain success, we get more and more opportunities to where pretty soon you can't say yes to everything that comes your way. Sure. So how do you manage and prioritize opportunities? Yeah, well, that's important. And the more successful you get, the more people ask you and want things from you. And the fact is there, there aren't enough hours in the day to be able to do that and still keep your sanity and do the best job serving the marketplace you need to serve. So we've got to be able to say no a lot more than we say yes. The key is to say no in a way that respects the other person, that values the other person, that makes them feel good about themselves, and at the same time honors our own values and honors our, um, you know, the fences that we need to put around uh, these things. So, you know, there are ways people have been taught to say no and while I don't want to disrespect anyone's way of teaching it or, or doing it, there are a couple of ways that I feel are not productive. And there's a way that I've sort of come up with that has proven to be very productive, not just for me, but the many people I've taught it to. One way that I think is counterproductive is when you hear what's become very in vogue now, and that is the sentence, no is a complete sentence. And, you know, I, I understand what people mean when they say it. What they mean is you don't have to do things just because someone asks. And I agree. Absolutely. I mean, unless there's a life and death type of thing, of course, I agree with that. But then you say, is no really a complete sentence? You know, someone asks you to uh, serve on a committee and you just don't want to. So by all means, don't. But are you just going to say, no, that's not a complete sentence. It's rude. Yeah, uh, it, it's 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 going to turn that other person off. It's going to shut off that person to asking you to do anything else. And you may want to do other things with that person. But mainly you don't say no like that because it's incongruent with your value system of treating people with kindness and respect. So no, I don't think that's a, a good idea. It sounds good, but it's not really, I don't think, productive. Then you hear people say, well, just say, well, I don't have time. The problem with that is. It isn't, first of all, that you don't have time. It's that you don't have the desire to do it. 
as much as you have the desire not to do it. So, um, but what happens is that, you know, when you say, I don't have time, when that person who hears that objection a lot, when they persuasively communicate to you that time is really not an issue, well, now you're stuck, right? Now you're in a situation where you've either got to come clean and admit that you are fibbing, which never causes someone to respect you more and you don't respect yourself more, or you need to, in order to save face, you need to accept the gig that you don't want to do. And again, that's, I, I don't think that's a good option either. So here's how you can say no to someone in a way that's polite, kind, but gets the point across and, and so forth. Uh, again, we'll just say someone asks you to serve on a committee. You simply say, thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. That's it. And what you did is you said, uh, you know, thank you so much. You thank them. OK, you let them know it's not something you'd like to do, but you didn't make an excuse. You didn't give them something to grab onto. And then you honor them by telling them by telling them how honored you were even to be asked. Thank you so much. Uh, while it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked or how grateful I am to be asked, depending upon your style. Now, if the person tries to kind of bully you into it or or sort of, you know, not not in a bad way, but but because they really believe in this and they just kind of trip. Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, but we really not, you know, <clears throat> you just, you just make sure that you stay very calm. Uh, don't look defensive. Don't interrupt them. Let them finish what they say. And all you have is a look of a peaceful look on your face. And then you simply, when they finish, you simply say, oh, I appreciate the offer. I, uh, I don't believe so, but thank you again so much for asking. Boom. And then let it go with that. And you'll train them or retrain them. If there's someone in the past who has seen you can be pushed around or manipulated, you'll train people how to treat you. You'll, they'll, they'll know that, that they can always ask. Absolutely. Um, but that, uh, when you say no, you know, it's no, and that you don't have to make excuses for it or what have you. Well, and you don't end up looking like a jerk when you're turning them down, even though you, uh, exactly. the result is exactly. the same. Yeah. And uh, by the way, this works on email. It works on the phone. It works in person. Uh, you know, when you really ask yourself the question is, is, is what I'm about to say and how I'm about to say it, does it show respect to that other person? And if you do that, I'm telling it, you know, 99.999 times out of a hundred, you're going to be fine, but resist the urge to make an excuse. You know, there's That's a proper time and place. I mean, sometimes you might have to when it's really legitimate that it is that, you know, but really resist that if you possibly can. That's great advice. Early on when I was writing my very first book, uh, you know, just getting ready, I had, I had no experience in contacting anybody as far as asking them for interviews and stuff. And, uh, you know, since then I've, I've interviewed Navy SEALs team sniper, you know, the, the number one sniper in history, the, uh, the guy that invented the MP3 player, all kinds of very successful people. But early on, I had read a book by Will Edwards called the seven keys to success. And I had reached out to him asking for an interview, uh, via email, right? I reached out to his secretary and he responded back with a with almost the same style of a reply uh -huh. that was rather than leaving me feel like okay maybe i shouldn't be reaching out to these people maybe i don't know what i'm doing um his response said curtis just at the moment i don't have the time to dedicate to writing a really decent set of answers to your interview questions mm -hmm. and that's what you need for success of your right. book so regretfully i have to decline your offer however i do wish you well with your project best wishes will so Very well that's a yeah took time to honor me as he was as he was telling me, uh, I'm not big enough to uh, 
Uh, it, no, and it wasn't that you weren't big enough. And I'll just tell you this from personal experience, okay? Because I am, you know, I'm asked probably five or six times a week to to give endorsement blurbs for books, meaning I'd have to read the manuscripts because I won't give a blurb unless I've actually read the book. I don't mm-hmm. feel it's right to to do that. Uh, and I just, I, I don't have the time to do it if I want to get my work done, okay? And I can't tell you names that are bigger than I am, okay? So it's not a matter of being big enough or that you weren't big enough at the time. Names bigger than I am who I've had to say the same thing. And this is the one time where I will say, uh, because I received so many requests, I had to make the decision yeah. uh, to either read a whole bunch of wonderful manuscripts or get my work done. So put in, and then the rest of it was exactly like he said. So, so uh, it 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 wasn't that you weren't big enough. It was that he really didn't. It wasn't able to do it, and he was probably asked all the time, and and so forth. And and uh, but but yeah, that's the one time where I will. It's not as an excuse. It is the, the reason where I have to let them know that, yeah, I would be glad to do it. I truly am not able to and have had to make a decision, you know, not to. At the time, though, I was, you know, I had not published any books. Now I've had a couple of bestsellers in the self-help categories on Amazon. But at the time, I was a, I was a new author who had never published a book, and I was asking to interview him in, in a chapter of my mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I was in his shoes, I would have I would have responded the same way, going, I don't know this guy. I don't know. Don't, let I, don't know that I want my name you know, a chapter written about me in a book from an author that I have no clue if it's going to be successful or not, or yeah, I just thought it was an awesome, awesome. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sounds like a great guy. And this is another great question. I like to ask successful people. What advice would you give to your 18 year old self? That one's probably the easiest one I could ever answer. Okay. And, and that answer would be 18 year old Bob Berg, shut up and listen more because you don't know half of what you think you know you don't know a pittance of what you think you know and then there's that you know it reminds me also of the quote that's attributed to mark twain though there's no evidence he actually ever said this it's one of those you know when something sounds really wise it's either mark twain ben franklin or you know somebody but it's where he's credited as saying it's not the things you don't know that get you into trouble it's the things you're absolutely positively certain you do know that just ain't so and so that would be the second part of what i'd tell 18 year old bob berg not only do you not know anything compared to what you think you know, but about 95% of the stuff that you're absolutely sure is true ain't true. Because I really thought I had it figured out. <laughs> you know, I thought I understood life, human nature, why people said and did that. I mean, I just knew, but I didn't. And it was only after I started to realize how little, how totally little I knew and opened myself up to listening and learning and growing that things began to change. That's awesome. I, I heard a guy say one time, he said, uh, the older I get, the more I realize, the, the more I realize how little I know about how people. Little I know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's an, it's a, it's an ongoing work in progress. And thank you so much again for your time, Bob. I know you're very busy and I'm just so glad to be able to share your, your knowledge and insight and wisdom with our audience. Oh, my pleasure. I, I love what you're doing. I love the work you do. And I, I just thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks again.